This morning we're continuing our sermon series, our stewardship sermon series on entrust, where we think of many of the things that God has entrusted to us as God's disciples and God's servants. And uh, today we'll continue with that by, by looking at Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. As Vicki said, the parable of the talents, which is a fairly well-known parable in the Bible. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and the one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And one of the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I did not scatter then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own in interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even, they, even what they have will be taken away. For this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weep, weeping and gnashing of teeth." This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I think I've shared with you all several times how proud I am of our preschool teachers and all the work that they do. At a child development center like ours, they really have so many things that they have to teach. Certainly the ABCs and the one, two, threes and all our colors of the rainbow. But at a child development center, they also teach big topics. Things like how to build relationships, how to solve problems and do basic problem solving skills. And also how to have responsibility, to be responsible people. 
Now, I'm not a teacher, and I can imagine maybe how to teach the ABCs and the one, two, threes, but teaching a big concept like responsibility to a small child seems like something pretty tough to do to me. In fact, this past week, I asked Vicki, who used to teach in our preschool, how did you teach something like responsibility to a little child? And she said one of the gifts that she used to use was she had a classroom pet in her classroom. It was a little gecko that was in a terrarium that she had in her classroom. And, and every day the children would come into it, into the classroom and see the gecko. And it, it not only gave them a, a broader picture of nature and things like that, but she also had to take care of it, to feed it, to, to, to teach the children how to take care of something besides themselves. And in doing so, teach them responsibility. Maybe you all had classroom pets when you were growing up and going to school. I know we did. We had gerbils and hamsters and all kinds of things. I remember one particular classroom where we had a classroom plant that was supposed to be a little easier to take care of than a classroom pet. It was a ficus that we named Fred. And we had to take care of Fred, water Fred once a week, and make sure Fred got plenty of sunlight. That was the way we learned how to be responsible as children. Unfortunately, over the Christmas holidays, we forgot about Fred. And so after the Christmas holidays, we got a new ficus that we named Frida and tried to start taking care of her instead. But it's important to learn about responsibility, even at a very early age, because all of us have been given things that we're responsible for, especially as disciples of Jesus Christ. We have been given countless things that we are responsible for, from our church, this wonderful gift of this wonderful place, to our friends and to our family, to this world that is limited that we have to take care of and are called to take care of every day, and especially the gift of opportunities to serve our neighbors and need. Those are responsibilities that we have, and to be disciples, we have to be responsible. At first glance at this parable from Jesus, it seems like maybe that's what he's trying to teach his disciples, a little bit of responsibility, not by giving them a classroom pet, but by giving them this parable that they can wrestle with. And I have to say, we're still wrestling with it thousands of years later. You know this parable, you've heard it many times, the parable of the talents. Jesus has been teaching his disciples, specifically talking to them about what's to come, and, and it's close to the end of Matthew, and so he's getting close to his own death, and he's talking about the kingdom come and all the things that will come next, and, and he tells them about this parable of the talents. There are three slaves of a, of a slave master, and this slave master seems to do something, even though it's a, a, maybe a passage about responsibility, he seems to do something that seems very irresponsible. He gives outlandish amounts of money to his slaves. He entrusts these outlandish, hyperbolic amounts of money to his, his slaves that serve him. That's how we know that it's an allegory right off the bat, because when he says he gave five talents, that's something like a million dollars in, in our day, or, or maybe even a billion dollars these days. He gives five talents to the first slave, two talents to the second slave, one talent to the last slave. And, and those first two slaves, in my opinion, do something irresponsible with it. They take it and immediately go and, and use that money and invest it. They, they go and try to make money immediately without even thinking. They take that money and try to grow it without even thinking about the possibility that they could lose all of their master's money. It's that third slave that I identify with the most. 
The one that realizes, well, well, this is not mine. I better take care of it. This is not mine. Something might happen to it. This isn't mine, so I should take it and bury it and keep it until the master comes back. Well, the master does come back, and as you know the story, the two slaves who risked it wildly and were irresponsible with it, they were the ones who were praised for taking those bold leaps, for using that money and, and, and going immediately to try to make more money. But it was the third slave, the slave that I think of as the responsible one, it was that slave who was condemned to weeping and gnashing of teeth. It seems like it's a very irresponsible passage to me. But maybe that's because this is not a passage that's trying to teach us about responsibility. It's a passage that's trying to teach us about courage. We've looked at this passage many times, even in the six years that I've been here. We've wrestled with it before. I wrestle with it all the time, like I say, because I feel like I'm that third slave But it seems to me that Jesus Christ is trying to teach the disciples that they have to have courage with the gifts that they have been given, especially the gift of the gospel, especially the gift that they have to use to grow the kingdom of God, to grow the church. If they don't take risks and act boldly, take leaps of faith and share that gospel with the world, then they will be wasting the gift. But like that third slave, I worry about what might happen if I lose that gift, if I waste what God has given me by being too reckless with it. In my mind, what worries me the most is the fear that we'll have if I I have if I will lose it. And so often or not, that weighing courage and fear is what holds us back from being the disciples that God calls us to be. That fear that we have that we might lose those things that God has given us and so it holds us back and makes us hide those gifts that God has called us to use boldly to take leaps of faith. When we were at the uh, middle school ministry conference, Montreat conference this summer, they shared a little poem with us that I think resonated with a lot of our middle schoolers. It was written by Shel Silverstein and it's called What If? I want to read it to you. It says, last night while I lay thinking here, some what-ifs crawled inside my ear and pranced and partied all night long and sang the same old what-if song. What if I'm dumb in school? What if they've closed the swimming pool? What if I get beat up? What if there's poison in my cup? What if I start to cry? What if I get sick and die? What if I flunk that test? What if green hair grows on my chest? What if nobody likes me? What if a bolt of lightning strikes me? What if I don't grow taller? What if my head starts getting smaller? What if the fish won't bite? What if the wind tears my kite? What if they start a war? What if my parents get divorced? What if the bus is late? What if my teeth don't grow in straight? What if I tear my pants? What if I never learn to dance? Everything seems well. And then the nighttime what-ifs strike again. My what-ifs are a little bit different than these, but they certainly run around in my head and cause me to hold back and hide in fear. What if the, the leaps of faith that we take hurt us and cause us harm? What if we try to build a budget for our church and we don't have enough money to do the things we want to do? What if I speak out for someone in need and it offends someone and they leave the church? Or Maybe you have your own what-ifs too. 
What if my child doesn't get into college? Or, or what if they get into college and we can't afford it? What if I lose my job? Or what if I don't get the job that I want? What if they never find a cure? Or what if we can't solve this problem? What if he really did cheat on me? What if? All those what ifs hold us back, cause us to fear, cause us to hide the gifts that God has given us, cause us to, to waste all the precious gifts that God has given us. But here in this passage, Jesus tells the disciples, you can't be held back by those what-ifs. You have to be courageous. You have to be bold with the gift of the gospel. You have to be bold with these priceless gifts that God has given you because that's what the kingdom of God requires. If we're going to spread the gospel, we can't worry about the what-ifs. We can't hide and worry of, about what we're afraid of. I told you this little illustration a few years back. It's a, a story about a, a self-made billionaire, a woman named Sarah Blakely. You might have heard of her. She was teaching at a conference up in New York, an entrepreneur conference, and she told this little story about how her father gave her an incredible gift when she was a child. They were sitting across their, their dinner table one day, and her father looked her in the eye and said, tell me how you have failed this week. But he wasn't trying to get her to wallow or in her shame or anything like that. Instead, he was trying to do the opposite. He was asking her what bold leaps she had taken that week. And she said, well, I haven't done anything. And he said, well, next week you need to go out and fail at something. And so the next week she did. She went out and tried something new. And all throughout her childhood, he kept asking her that question, how have you failed this week? How have you tried something new? How have you taken a leap of faith and failed. That little question gave her permission not to be afraid of failure, not to be afraid of, of losing the gifts, but instead being afraid of wasting her gifts. That's what Jesus Christ calls the disciples to do as they're about to go out into the world on their own, not to be afraid of, of, of wasting the time that they have had, but to go out and use that time, to use that gospel, to use that gift to share the gospel with the world. After all, sometimes we do fall on our face. Sometimes we do fail. Sometimes we do suffer. And sometimes we do die. That's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ, but the kingdom of God was built upon it because He didn't waste the precious gifts that He had. The writer Parker Palmer says this, I now see that hanging on in a fearful and needy and clinging way to be in the world is not a way to live at all, but looking for what I want to give myself to transforms everything. It takes me to a place where I find energy and trust and new life. What do we want to give ourselves to? Rather than hanging on, letting go. Rather than burying our gifts, using our gifts. That's how we truly live as disciples of Jesus Christ. Not by trying to be responsible, but by being bold, daring greatly, daring to fail, daring to try. Now don't get me wrong, there are things to be afraid of. That little part at the end of that passage about uh, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, I'm here to tell you that part's true. 
But that weeping and gnashing of teeth doesn't come when we fail. We think it does sometimes, but no, that weeping and gnashing of teeth comes when we waste those priceless gifts that God has given us. Those priceless gifts like our time, like our friendships, like our church, like our opportunities to serve, those priceless gifts that we never get back. Let me give you an example. It's about two years ago, I was sitting here on a Sunday morning and I got home. My mother had called me. My Uncle Steve had been sick for a long time. She called me and told me that he had passed away while I was sitting in church. And in that moment, I fell to my knees and I started weeping, gnashing my teeth, realizing that I had lost someone I loved so dear. Not weeping because I didn't love him or he didn't love me, but weeping because I thought I had one more day and I didn't. How many times have we wasted gifts just like that? We see someone there out in the world in need and we say, well, there'll be another chance. But there's not. We see someone who needs help, needs food, needs a place to live, and we think, oh, someone else will help them. But it's up to us. We see a friend who, or a family member who all they need is those words, I love you. All they need is those words, I forgive you. And they will have that peace that they have been longing for. But we can't bring ourselves to do it. How often do we waste those gifts that we so take for granted? That to me is what the weeping and the gnashing of teeth is all about. The great composer Giancarlo Manatelli says it this way. He says, hell begins on the day when God grants us a clear vision of what we might have achieved, of all the gifts which we have wasted, of all that we might have done which we did not do. How often do we look at what God has given us and look back on our life and say, I could have or I should have. In my life, I have never cried over those times I tried and failed. But I have weeped bitterly over those gifts that I took for granted. And so as we look at 2023, what are the things that we're taking for granted as a church? What are the opportunities that we have to dare boldly, to fail boldly? What are the opportunities that we have to take a leap of faith and try? Who are the people in our community that have been rejected by other churches and need a place to call home? Who are the people around us that are searching and hurting and in need of help that we, if we would just take that leap, we could help them? What are the ways that God is calling us to dare to fail or dare to try? I'm going to be honest with you. If we try, we might fall flat on our face. We might fail miserably and greatly. But here's the thing. If we dare to try, I believe wholeheartedly that one day we will look our master in the eye and he will smile at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did not waste your gift.
to the glory of God. Amen. Speaking of good and faithful servants, I'm very thankful for Aggie Bell, who's willing to come and share with us a little bit about all the ways that God has called her to serve here at Faith and how we can continue to serve during this stewardship season. Good morning. Um, as you enter our narthex on the right, you may have noticed a plaque there. Um, it reads, Faith Presbyterian, charted November the 7th, 1954, by these men and women of faith and vision. Below are listed 81 names, and I recently read all of those names and recognizing and remembering uh, so fond, many so fondly for their impact on my life and the life of this church. I believe they would be amazed at the growth in our missions and ministries today, amazed at the number of organizations using this beautiful facility in 2022. I know I was overwhelmed by the scope and the outreach into our community when Brad and I began enumerating a list of groups both church ministries, organizations, and mission partners who walk through our doors every day. A lot of these were new to me, frankly, and they may be new to you, and you may know of other groups that we've somehow inadvertently left off. But um, here are just a few of the many, many people whose lives are touched uh, here at Faith. First, our organization and mission partners. The Afghan Refugees Assistance Group meets here. Benton Hills Preparatory School holds their graduation and shows here. The Boy Scouts of America, the local troop 109, meets here. Campfire Sunshine Central Florida, the Florida Foster and Adoptive Parents Association. Florida High Chorus, Leon High Chorus, and Child's Choruses all hold um, events here. Florida State Chorus MPA holds a state, statewide competition here every year. We have FSU organ recitals. The Kiwanis Club meets weekly here. Lamp Chamber players rehearse here. We are a na national election polling location. The organization PEO meets here. Sustainable Tallahassee Inc. Inc. meets and sews cloth bags. Therapeutic drumming training, which works with at-risk Leon County students, meets here. Narcotics Anonymous, the Children's Home Society, and some of our many, many church ministries. Uh, Faith Preschool serves over 100 ch children daily. Our Wednesday Night Alive, Sunday School classes, worship services, Manor Meridian, which just served 260 bags of groceries. Um, the Men's Breakfast. We have 17 Presbyterian women's circles that use this church. Weekly Bible studies, yoga classes. We're right in the middle of pumpkin season, pumpkin patch, trunk or treat, spooky movies. Walking the mourners grief group, organ classes, faith library book talks. We have plans for a preschool summer camp in 2023 with a mission partner. These are some of the many, many, many people that are, re are reaching and serving within these doors. 
People who need a warm and safe place to come for worship, for healing, for food to help feed their families, for Bible study, for fellowship. During this stewardship season, it's so important to remember that we have been called and trusted and challenged by our founders to take care of this sacred and beautiful space so that all who come here will feel Christ's presence. May we have the vision and faith to do so.